that day when this passing world is over. You will be all, everything to us. We will be able to worship you face to face, fullness of the righteousness that you have placed inside of us. Until that day, Father, we pray that you would increase our desire to serve you, to love you, to make you everything. Father, we pray that you would help us to die to self, to be willing to take up the cross of Christ daily, to press out the world, to press into righteousness. May our passion for you, for your church, bring you glory. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. Pastor Mark preaches. Give us a heart to obey and a will to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. That's tomorrow. You may be seated. So let me ask, we've been in this everyday gospel series for, for a, a handful of weeks now. So let me ask, in all seriousness, do you de desire to live a life that is both impacted by and impactful for the gospel? Do you want the gospel to not just change your life, but to continue to change your life? As great as those changes have been, you want even more of that. Do you want to continue to impact people or to begin to impact people, not with how great you are or not even with how great your church is, but how great your God is? Do you desire to see God do in other people what he's done in your life. I want to take a look at, at that this morning as we continue to talk about evangelism and discipleship and how those things are, are so intertwined together in the gospel. I want to start, we've got a quiz for you. Four questions, really easy, but if you fail, I'm going to preach this twice. So when I get to the end, I'm just going to go back to the beginning and start again. So there's a little bit of pressure on you. But I think it's easy enough that I don't think you're really in danger of failing. At least I hope not. And if you fail it now, you'll pass it when I start it again in just a few minutes. Um, so I have got some, some famous couples. And I am going to give you the first name and see how good you are as a group at filling in the last name. So we are going to start. We have got Adam and Eve. All right, we're off to a good start. All right, the next one we've got Romeo and Juliet. All right, you guys are knocking it out of the park. All right, the next one Bonnie and Bye. All right, we are doing good. There's only one more left. So at this point, 75% is. is it's not a great grade, but you have passed. So the last one, Priscilla and Elvis. <laughs> you said Elvis. 
any of the other book Elvis this month, are you? I did hear the I did hear the right answer, but, but we seem to know a little less about Priscilla and Aquila than we do about Priscilla and Elvis, or than we do even about Bonnie and Clyde or Romeo and Juliet. So, who were Priscilla and Aquila? He was not a famous rock and roll singer. <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in nine different verses of the Bible. So that tells us right away they are not major Bible characters. They're just in nine different verses scattered over a few books. They are a married couple and they are always mentioned together. They were tent makers, so they were not evangelists or they were not teachers. They were not preachers. They were not prophets. They were tent makers. Now that's what Paul did. That's how Paul earned a living. We'll talk a little bit about that. But tents were a very important part of the economy. So this wasn't like some sort of, of work from home hobby profession that they had chosen as like maybe a, a side hustle or something like that. This was a major part of the economy. A lot of people lived in tents. And tents, as I'm sure you can imagine if you live in them, are going to require an almost constant state of updating and repair. They're not a, a permanent structure. So if anybody who lived in a tent, a tent maker's services, they were going to be visiting a tent maker over and over again, not just one time to make a purchase. Most of the economy, most of the marketplace was set up under tents. So as the marketplace constantly shifted and, and evolved and changed, uh, a tent maker was always, always on the move with the marketplace, keeping them up and running. So they were, they were minor characters, yet they were very important. And I came up with, and this is maybe almost an appropriate time of the year for it, because today kind of is the last day that we are not going to be um, underneath the banner of Christmas. Uh, maybe not as a, as a church, we don't necessarily start promoting Christmas tomorrow. However, the stores will, if they haven't already. And if you've been in, in some of the places, they've already got all their Christmas stuff out. Uh, but I thought of the, the character of Tiny Tim in the story of Scrooge. How many are familiar with the story of Scrooge? Probably just about all of us. And if you're not, this Christmas season will probably give you only about 85 different chances to familiarize yourself with that story as it's on TV and all the different movies and, and different shows they have. But the character of Tiny Tim is mentioned just a few times in the story of Scrooge, if you are familiar with that, yet he plays a vital part in the narrative. It is his existence that sort of kicks off the story. Scrooge is the, the main character, of course, but his employee, Bob Cratchit, works for Scrooge, and Tiny Tim is Bob's son. And Tiny Tim is sort of the beginning of, of Bob's part of the narrative as he asks for a Christmas day off. And Scrooge, of course, isn't having any of that because he thinks Christmas should just be a work day. So Tiny Tim sort of starts the story off because it gives us as the viewers or the readers a chance to see what does Scrooge really feel about Christmas Day. His, his existence also plays a vital part in the, the, towards the end of the narrative because his potential death is the, the straw that breaks the character's back, so to speak. The, breaks the camel's back, I mean. 
as uh, Scrooge is confronted with the possibility that his employee's small, sickly son will die in the coming in the coming winter. And that is what convinces Scrooge to change his heart from being a self-centered person to a person who realizes his true, true strength would be to care about other people. Now, I'm not using that as any sort of religious example. That's just a famous fictional example. Uh, Scrooge is, is not a story about our Savior. It's a story about our Savior's birthday, but only in a peripheral way. Uh, you can watch the, the Bugs Bunny Christmas special and get just as much Jesus out of that as you do out of the story of Scrooge. In fact, I would recommend that because that will be over within a half an hour. And it's probably a little more fun than, than the story of Scrooge. Scrooge is a great story. It's got some good stuff that can challenge us about materialism and, and some of that. But there's nothing religious about Scrooge. I don't want you to think I'm endorsing it as some sort of gather around and, and let's have a religious story time. But I wanted to look at the, the character of Tiny Tim, such a small part of the story, but so important that he drives the story. Well, Priscilla and Aquila are sort of the same. They are such a small part of Scripture, yet they play a very big role in the life of somebody who is a huge part of the New Testament. And we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't preach anything that's been recorded. They didn't teach anything that's been recorded. At some point, the scriptures tell us they had church that met in their home, so they probably did teach and share what they knew about faith, but none of that's recorded. They didn't write anything down that made its way into the New Testament. They didn't write anything down that has followed down through history that we can look at. Maybe they never wrote anything. If they did, it didn't survive past its, its original audience if they wrote a letter or a note to somebody. But they did have such a profound effect, and I think that's kind of where we should be as Christians. We should want that impact on the lives of others more than we want some sort of legacy or name for ourselves. We should crave that we can impact people with the gospel more than we hope they're talking about us in Keystone Heights 100 years from now. There's nothing wrong if you do some sort of accomplishment that people remember you for. There's nothing wrong with that. But that should not be our goal. But if you can impact people with Jesus, that should be our goal. Even if nobody directly remembers your specific actions. So I, I started by asking you, you know, do you desire to live a life that is both impacted by and impactful for the gospel? Most everybody was kind of, they looked like they were on board shaking their head with that. I'm going to share three things we can do this morning to be both impacted by and impactful for the gospel. And as I share that, I hope the notes that I gave Ben were clear. Um, if not, if it's not clear up there, that's my fault, not Ben's fault. Because as I'm looking at that part of my notes, I didn't explain that part to him. So as he stumbles along to figure that out, that's not him doing a bad job. That's him doing his best with what was communicated to him. Uh, we're going to start in Acts 18, though. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. Uh, Acts 18, we're going to look at the first three verses of Acts 18. If you don't have your Bible, Ben will get that up on the screen for us. Um, I'm looking out of the, uh, the ERV, the easy-to-read version. So if you've got a version different than that, it should, it should follow along. You'll just have to kind of work a little bit intellectually as we read through. I'll give you a second to get there if you are turning that direction. 
I've got the Eastern Connection card that I never turned in. I'm using as a bookmark. I found that the other night, and Tom didn't want it anymore. All right, Acts 18, verse 1. Later, Paul left Athens and went to the city of Corinth. There he met a Jewish man named Aquila, who was born in the country of Pontus. But he and his wife Priscilla had recently moved to Corinth from Italy. They left Italy because Claudius had given an order for all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to visit Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers, the same as Paul. So he stayed with them and he worked with them. Now we don't know whether he met them because they were all believers or because they were all tent makers. It is entirely possible that he met them in the marketplace as, as he was plying his trade or as they were, and they struck up a conversation about that. We don't know. But they had that in common and they had their faith in common. And, and he became friends with them, and he not only went to visit, but then he stayed to live with them. And this gives us our very first glimpse into Priscilla and Aquila, what they thought was important. Paul would write, or Peter would write in the New Testament, in uh, 1 Peter 4, he would say, Open your homes to each other and share your food without complaining. And that was, that's out of the easy to read version. Listen to how, how Peter wrote that in the NLT. He says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. So we're supposed to do it without complaining. We're supposed to do it cheerfully. The King James, I love this, this version of it maybe the most. It says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. That is Peter talking about as a believer, the way you can treat others. Use hospitality. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were definitely, that was their heart. That was their mindset. Here comes this, this Paul guy, and they meet him, and they become friends with him, and they bring him into their home. Not as an overnight guest, but they bring him there to live, and he was with them for quite a while, possibly as much as a year and a half. It's important to know that culturally, their, their homes were not like ours. He wasn't down the hall in a guest room with, with maybe his own mini fridge and microwave and, and television. He would have been right in their house with them. At most, they, as tent makers, they probably lived in a tent. So they might have had two, maybe three tents that they kind of had grouped together to live in. But he was very likely just right in the middle of their life, right in their bedroom. They probably all three slept in the same room. I mean, imagine that level of hospitality. You're not just opening your guest room. It's not somebody staying on your couch. That's somebody who's really like, they're living their life in your life. And that level of hospitality, I really want to look at that because if we want to be impactful for the gospel, and if we want to be impacted by, I think we need to have that level of hospitality. I'm not saying that go running out of here this morning and drive down the road looking for somebody and, hey, come live in our house. I'm not necessarily telling you to do that. But are you open to doing that? Are you open to having somebody's life happen inside of your life? Not just for a few minutes, but for a length of time. So much so. I mean, think of the, the intimacy here. And I'm not talking about sex. But the intimacy of having somebody live in your bedroom with you. 
I'm talking to the adults. Now, that's one thing when you're college and you go to college or you're in the military and, and you get stuck with a roommate and you're 18, 19 years old. That's kind of, you kind of put up with that. Many of us shared rooms with siblings when, when we were kids. But think of that as an adult. Not the person you're married to, but somebody else out there coming and living in your space. Isn't that outside of most of our comfort zones? At least a little bit. That's called, a, in the, the culture, they kind of call that refrigerator rights. When somebody is so comfortable in your house that they can just get in and out of your kitchen, get in and out of the refrigerator, get in and out of the cupboards, and you're not in the other room thinking, I don't hardly know that guy. Why is he digging around in my refrigerator? They're so comfortable with you that, that they, they don't feel at all weird about going in your refrigerator. They don't feel like, okay, this is strange. This is not my stuff. I shouldn't be able to, to touch this. That, that level of comfort is there. Someone's so welcome in your home that they feel that. And, and I was very lucky. I was raised, my mom and dad were sort of like that. I share a lot of stories about my dad. And I, I kind of, I paint him as a, a disciplinarian, which is very true. He was. He had to be. My brother and I were, I would say, almost typical teenage boys, but, but we were maybe a little less smart than a lot of teenage boys. My dad had to be a disciplinarian. He had to crack down on us an awful lot. Uh, maybe me more than my brother, but you never know. It could be the other way, too. But our friends at our home, this is a side of my parents I don't get to talk about all the time. Um, our friends were always welcome in our house. My mom and dad, if we wanted to go somewhere, they had a million questions. Who were we going with? Who else was going to be there? Do I know the parents of this place where you're going? And if I don't, you're not going unless I call them or go over there and get to know them. Um, you know, all these questions. People that we weren't allowed to go to their house and hang out with. Places we weren't allowed to go and those people might be there. They were welcome to come and hang out at our house. My brother and I could bring anybody over. Because my mom and dad were really comfortable. Yeah, come here and, and, and hang out here. My mom and dad were comfortable with a house full of teenagers. We would go down in the basement and, and we'd be making noise, watching movies playing games, hanging out, blaring our music. And my mom and dad were upstairs hating that, all of that noise, but loving the fact that we were home and they knew where we are and they knew that we were, that we were safe and they had a little bit of control over the, the decisions that we were making. And they were very comfortable with that. My mom and dad, they never had a job where they got to sleep at. It's, it is a rare childhood memory of mine that my mom and dad, either one, would be asleep past 6 or 6.30 in the morning. They always got up early. And, and they still do, even though they're retired. But I could come home at 9 o'clock at night and bring a group of guys and would go hang out in the basement. And my mom and dad were fine with that. There was never any, well, no, don't, don't bring anybody in. we got to get up early tomorrow. My mom, I've said this before, and I stand by it, my mom makes the best pancakes out of and all the pancakes I've ever sampled in my life, and I've sampled quite a bit. My mom makes the best pancakes out of everybody that, that I've ever known. And, and my friends loved my mom's pancakes. And my mom would get up on the night where she had to get up early in the morning and go to work. My mom would be up at 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, making everybody pancakes. And my friends would be, be scarfing them down as quick as they could. My dad would be sitting there laughing at us because he thought we were all idiots. 
And and it would be this this just kind of welcome. Come on in. Your friends will come and I'll feed them. Late at night when I got to get up early in the morning. Uh, about two weeks after we were first married, I came home after Bible study at about 9 o'clock at night once. And I, I brought some guys with me. And I asked Shannon if she would get out of bed and make us something to eat. <laughs> Shannon loves me in a different way than my mom did. <laughs> but that was this level of hospitality that my mom and dad had. They didn't care about the mess. They didn't care about the noise. They just loved having us there. And so being raised with that, it became really natural. Shannon and I are unable to have children of our own. But over the years that we have been in student ministry, we've had five or six different teenagers that have stayed with us for a period of time. Sometimes just for a couple of weeks. Sometimes for as long as almost a year. We've been able to open our home and have somebody stay with us. And we've had incredible ministry conversations sitting around the dinner table with somebody that, that's had to live with us because they didn't have anywhere else to go. That level of hospitality is such a blessing, and it has blessed us so much to be able to be in somebody's life that way and to have them in that proximity to our life. We've been able to make a gospel impact, but we've had such a spiritual impact in our own lives by being able to do life in that way, and, and, and we're blessed. We're able to do that. We've got the room. We've got the ability to, to have somebody come in. Priscilla and Aquila did that, that, that hospitality. And their hospitality ministered to Paul. And we are well aware how Paul was ministering to countless others. And Paul was able to better minister to people because he didn't have to worry about where he was going to eat and where he was going to lay his head. For that period of time that he stayed with them, he was, he was working as a tent maker all week long. He was preaching on the weekends, and he wasn't worried about where he was going to stay because of their hospitality. Their ministry to him allowed him to minister. The first thing you can do to be impacted by God and to impact others, and I've got this as, as number one out of the three things, share your life with people. Open your life up and share with people. Be willing to share their, their life and share your life. And it's noisy and it's messy, but it's gospel. And it's what we are called to do. Well, let's jump several verses down in, in 18, uh, verses 24 through 26. Still in chapter 18 of Acts, uh, verses 24 through 26. A Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. Born in the city of Alexandria, he was an educated man who knew the scriptures well. At this point, when they say scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. He was an educated man and he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Verse 25, he had been taught about the Lord and was always excited to talk to people about Jesus. What he taught was right, but the only baptism he knew that he knew about was the baptism that John taught. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Verse 26, Apollos began to speak very boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak, they took him to their home and helped him understand the way of God better. He, he understood the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And at some point, he had encountered Jesus or somebody told him about Jesus, and he had become a born-again Christian. 
He was evangelizing. He was preaching. He was telling people about Jesus. And it says he was excited to tell people about Jesus. But the only baptism he understood was, was John's. He didn't have a complete picture of baptism. The, the baptism of John that he knew was baptism for repentance. Which means, as a part of, of being sorry for your sin, you, you come and you get dumped in the water. Culturally, when baptism was for repentance, you could get baptized over and over and over again if you kept sinning over and over again. Now, I know for people in this room that doesn't make a lot of sense because none of y'all sin over and over again. It's a one-time thing. If you repent, you're done, right? But for me, I'd be getting baptized all the time. I've got days where I would just get down in the water with John and just, well, how long are you going to be here? You just keep dunking me until your arm gets tired. And then, uh, what, we'll be back tomorrow about 9 in the morning, right? That was, that was the baptism that Apollos was teaching because that's what he knew. You get baptized in order to repent. Now, we understand, as believers, that's not what baptism is. Baptism is a way for you to say, I'm a born-again Christian, and I want to publicly declare that. So I'm going to get in front of my church family, in front of some people, so people are going to see this, and somebody's going to baptize me, and that is me demonstrating that I'm serious about my faith. That I didn't just raise my hand because everybody else had their hand up. I didn't just go forward because everybody else went forward, but it meant something to me, and I want to live a certain way, and I'm publicly declaring that, and the people I'm declaring it to are now going to be able to hold me accountable to say, hey, you're serious enough about Jesus to get baptized, are you serious enough to change this sin in your life? It's another part of that, besides that public declaration, is that you declaring to Jesus, Father, I am serious enough about living for you that I want Brother Sam and Brother Tom and Brother Rob to be able to be in my life and ask me questions, say, hey, Mark, I, uh, I saw you get baptized. Why am I seeing you do this sin? Shouldn't you be making a change? So God, I'm serious enough about this relationship with you that I don't want this to be a private thing. I want other people to be able to help me. Priscilla and Aquila, they understood that, that all of that for baptism. Apollos didn't. They brought him into their home. Some, some versions of the text say they brought him there to live. They were so impressed with his preaching. They said, hey, come, come to dinner with us. Come to our place. If you need a place to stay, you can stay with us. And while he was there, they took him to their home and they helped him understand the way of God better. They helped him get a handle on a part of his faith that he didn't fully know. Hospitality and love. They didn't stand up and publicly fact check him in the middle of the service. Uh, hey there, preacher. You're not teaching the truth about baptism, and let me tell you where you're wrong. They didn't publicly shame him. They didn't, they didn't take the, the offering envelope and turn it over and write an anonymous note on the back of it and put in the offering plate and say, hey, somebody there better check this Apollos guy because he's teaching something wrong. They didn't go home and get on Facebook and, and leave this post about, oh, what a great morning at church and what a great preacher we had. Except he doesn't know this as good as I do. They didn't do any of that. They brought him into their home with love and said, hey, let's, let us help you 
get better at this. Let us help your Christian walk. Let us help your Christian ministry. They loved him. They helped him. They encouraged him like a good coach would do. They coached him. A coach has, has discipline that they impart, but they do it in an encouraging and loving way so that you get better instead of feeling like you've been beaten down. They minister to him. He's leading people to Christ, and they're ministering to him while he does that, helping him get better at that. What do you do to encourage the ministry of the believers around you? Just this week, as this message was already coming together, I, I had three great examples of that. I got a letter in the mail. Remember that? With like a stamp on it and an envelope? I got a letter in the mail this week from a student who was a part of our student ministry. And, and Shannon and I have known her for, for several years. And this letter was, it was just one page long. And it was thanking us for some things we had done and remembering back to some things that we had taught and some conversations that we had had with her. And this letter was so encouraging. I just, I've been feasting on it all week. I've read it every morning since I've had it for about five days now. It has just been phenomenal. I've sat down and started to write her back, and I'm, I'm trying hard to get the words together because this letter just it, it encouraged me so much. Now, she didn't send it just to encourage. She sent it because she wanted us to know about the impact we but it has been so encouraging and so special. I got another card in the mail this week from somebody that I know largely through Facebook. We've met, but they're, they're here in the area, but they go to another church. And we've, we've met locally, but we've just kind of been connected on Facebook. And frequently on Facebook, I'll just kind of ask, how can I pray for you today? And she usually, she'll usually comment there with a prayer request, where sometimes she'll send me a, a, a private message if it's something really, really kind of private about her family. There have been a lot of those. And she sent me this card this week, and she just said, hey, here's a, here's a little gift for you, because you pray for my family all the time, and I just, I just want to thank you, and that's been on my heart, and this is just what I can do for you. And, and how special that is. I pray for you, you don't owe me anything, and I think everybody knows that. She certainly knows that. But just that encouragement. Well, I've been feasting on that all week, too. The other night at Bible study, Tom and Lynn gave me some coupons for some Frosties. Because they heard me, Allison came in with a bag of Wendy's to Bible study, and I was teasing her about, they must be all out of Frosties, because you know I love Frosties, and you didn't bring me one. And they heard that, and they gave me these coupons for these Frosties, so... Allison is, is working hard to keep me healthy, and Tom and Lynn are working the other way. But I love it because I, I do enjoy Frosties, and, and they are the small ones, so it's just a, it's just a taste. Yeah, you, you'd have to pile four or five of them together to get a to get a real good real good Frosty out of it. But but they're good. I love that encouragement, and and I don't need that any more than anybody else does. Some weeks I do. But we all need that. What are you doing to encourage, not just your pastors, this is not me fishing for frosty coupons. <laughs> Although, you know, if you've got some, you're not using, I'll, I'll take them, I'll share them with Pastor Steve. But what are you doing to encourage other people in ministry? If you're a born-again believer in the room, stick your hand up real quick. Look around the room. Y'all in ministry. If your hand is up, you're in ministry. What are you doing to encourage others in that ministry? And I'm not talking about giving them stuff. And sometimes that's encouraging. There's nothing wrong with a gift. 
But what else are you doing to encourage? Look at the way Priscilla and Aquila encouraged Apollos with not just a place to stay, but with love. And, and they helped him correct his ministry and get better at ministry in a way that probably made him feel good. Instead of standing up in the room and saying, you got it wrong, preacher. I'm smarter than you. And they took him home and said, here, let me tell you something that will help you get better at this. They opened their life. And then they encouraged. If you want to be impacted by the gospel and you want to impact others, encourage, coach, and love others. That's number two. Share your life with people. That's number one. Encourage, coach, and love others. That's number two. Move on to the third one really quick. Well, we're jumping to the book of Romans, chapter 16, and uh, verses 3, 4, and the beginning of verse 5. I like that as well. Uh, this is Paul. He says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, who have worked together with me for Christ Jesus. They risked their own lives to save mine. I am thankful to them, and all the non-Jewish churches are thankful to them. Also give greetings to the church that meets in their house. So he's letting us know that Priscilla and Aquila are continuing, even though he's not with them anymore. They didn't stop being Christians when the preacher moved out. They were still acting as believers. And, and I'm going to tell you one of the things, not necessarily those of you in this room, but sometimes, specifically, some of you in this room, but the, the pastor and I, each of us, I promise we have stories. He's got stories just like mine of People who get a little more spiritual when the preacher is nearby. I go over to somebody's house for dinner and, and they're like, oh, well, let's, let's let Pastor Mark say the blessing. And, and I love it when y'all have kids because a lot of times your kids will ranch out and be like, we don't ever do this. How come we're doing this? Oh, the pastor's here for dinner. That's how come we're doing this. That, that kind of that lets me know. But, but people that act a little more spiritual when we're around, and we can usually tell when that kind of, that spiritual costume comes out, oh, he's a preacher, so let's, let's kind of pretend a little bit. They weren't, they weren't like that, because they were still having church in their home. They were still, their foot was still on that gas pedal, pressed down about their faith, even when the preachers weren't, weren't staying with them. But give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila who worked together with me for Christ Jesus. He didn't consider what they did as sort of support work. They worked with me. My ministry, they were a part of. Because while they were giving me a place to stay, that was a part of my ministry. I was able to share the gospel better because I didn't have to worry about where I was going to lay my head. In verse 4, they risked their own lives to save mine. We don't know the exact context of that. Other than what Paul says, that his life was in danger, and they put their own lives in danger to save his. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the greatest love people can show is to die for their friends. And that's very true, but he was, he was saying it in kind of a ministry context. If you can die for the cause of Christianity... What better love for your friends is that? We've got people around the world right now that are risking their lives for the gospel, like Priscilla and Aquila did, like Paul did. Not necessarily here in America. 
And, and, and I don't want to be on a soapbox, but I know a lot of times in America where we love to feel persecuted for our Christian faith. And that persecution just, when it doesn't hold a candle to places where people get jailed, lose their homes, lose their jobs, lose their livelihood, lose their life for their faith. Jesus said the greatest love you can have is to be willing to lay down your life for your friends in the cause of ministry. And Priscilla and Aquila had that greatest love, that genuine love, that compassionate love. We're missing a lot of that in our culture. Because we are so blessed, we don't face that kind of persecution. But, but that has kind of allowed us to get very comfortable with that. The, the fastest going, growing Christian church in the world, one of them, is in Korea. Korea, the Korean Christian church, that's not one denomination. I'm talking about Koreans all across Korea, north and south. Christians are planning to send missionaries to a great unchurched, to a great unbelieving population on our planet. Starting in 2022, the Korean church is planning to send Christian missionaries to a place without a lot of Christians. And guess where they're getting ready to send them? America. Because the Christians in Korea are looking at Christianity in America. And they're saying, there's a lot of people that claim to be believers there. And they care a lot more about who's going to be president than they do about their unsaved neighbor down the street. They care a lot more about whether the clerk is going to say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays at the store than they do about the unsaved people that work with them. So they, they, kind of, they want to know Jesus, but they're kind of off track. So we're going to send some people that are passionate about Jesus to help them. Y'all, we're in that category of people they're coming to help. We're supposed to go into all the world. Some of the world is going to come to us to help us get it a little bit better. That should tell us something about where we need to go. And I'm not necessarily calling out Fresh Start Fellowship on that. But if the shoe fits, try it on. And I think most of us in the room, maybe all of us, I think we've got a, a pretty good handle on that. But we can always do more, and we can always be better. We've got so far to go. So many of us, we're not willing to lose, let alone losing our life for our faith. But we're not willing to lose our politics for our faith. Amen on that. We're not willing to, to say, you know what? I got one of these people running that I, that's the one I want elected. But I don't care who gets elected because I want the opportunity to share Jesus with my neighbor even more than I want my guy in office. I don't even care what it does to my taxes. I want a chance to share Jesus. I don't care if they attack my faith and make it uncomfortable to be a Christian because I'm called to share Jesus regardless of what the people in charge of We need to start losing the stuff that's important to us. Our, our love of movies and entertainment and, and recreation. I hear all the time, well, we can't make it to church because we got to go camping. We can't make it to church. we got to go here. we got to go there. And, and I get that need to get away because I wasn't here last week because my wife and I got away for the weekend. So trust me, this is not me 
throwing stones at you guys. But you know, we're, we're kind of caught up in that. Do you think the preacher in a, in, a, in a culture where he can be beheaded for preaching the gospel is putting on Facebook how good it is to get away from church for the weekend? Probably not. And of course, God would have me preach a sermon right after we, we got away for the weekend. But he's worked on my heart a lot this week over that. Do you want to be impacted by the gospel? Do you want to impact others? That's the third thing. You have got to be willing to lose what's important to you for heaven's gain. And I'm not saying that the stuff that's important to you isn't important. Well, it's good to get away for the weekend. It's, it's, it's great to be a, a football fan and to be able to watch the game uninterrupted. There's absolutely nothing wrong with caring about politics and caring about who gets elected. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But are you willing to lose some of that for heaven's gain? The, the first thing I had, you want to impact and be impacted by the gospel? Share your life with people. Number two, encourage, coach, and love others. Number three, be willing to lose what's important to you for heaven's gain. For heaven's gain. Who were Priscilla and Aquila? Minor, minor characters in the New Testament. But boy, they sure lived out their faith. And they lived it out in impactful ways that impacted others. Who are you impacted? Who has impacted you? Let me end by telling you really quick about somebody really, really, really important to me, and I don't even know her that well. But my wife grew up when she was a, a little girl. Uh, her parents got divorced and her dad went to prison. So her mom, as a single mom, was kind of doing all of it. There was no money coming in from an ex-husband out there because he was in prison. And, and her mom had to do all of it. And they moved around an awful lot. And, and there was a lot of chaos in their life that comes with that kind of life, that comes with that kind of poverty. And one of the places they moved, Shannon knew as, as, as a little girl that church comforted her. Mom didn't always get up and go to church. Mom was sometimes working and not able to go to church. Or mom was sleeping in because she'd worked all night. Mom wasn't able to go to church. Shannon's sisters didn't go to church. But Shannon knew that if she got up on a Sunday morning and got out into the neighborhood, she would see some people that were getting ready to go to church. And she could say, hey, will you, will you take me to church with you? In one of those neighborhoods when she was a little girl, she met a really nice lady named Lucia Wagner. And she said, hey, will you take me to church with you? And Lucille and her husband had, had adult kids and grandkids living with them. And they, they said, yeah, sure. The more the merrier. And they took Shannon to church. It was at that church on one of those Sunday mornings that this, this little girl went forward and gave her life to Christ. And at that moment, Bill and Lucille Wagner didn't say, hey, cool, home run. We got a little neighborhood kid came and they gave their life to Christ. Our work is done with her. Let's find somebody else. No, they continued to pour into her. They continued to help her with her Christian walk. They continued to take her to church. They continued to have gospel, discipling, conversations with her. When she moved, because they moved around a lot, if they were anywhere near Lucille, Lucille would come and pick her up and take her to church. 
all the way through her high school years. Lucille is so responsible for the woman that my wife became as an adult because she lived out her faith. And she will tell you, I didn't do anything. I just gave her a ride to church. It wasn't a big deal. But it was huge. And when I talk about we open our home and, and we have people in, that's not me coming home and telling Shannon we're going to do this. This is my wife and I together as a team. We pray about this, and that's her heart. How can we help people? I am so blessed by Lucille's ministry. In this, in this passage we just read, when Paul says, they saved my life, and I am very thankful for that, because I like my life having been saved. That's kind of cool. But all these churches are thankful for that as well. What Paul means is, all the people I've been able to share the gospel with since they saved my life, they owe their spiritual life to spirit to Priscilla and Aquila. Because they saved me, I was alive to share the gospel. Who are you impacting that is going to be able to share the gospel, that is going to be able to minister? Who are you letting in your life so they can impact you, so you can better minister, so you can better share the gospel? Because heaven's gain is what the point of this is. If it wasn't, the minute you were saved, you would drop down. Because God would say, all right, Brother Sam's a Christian. I'm bringing him up to heaven right now to be with me. No. Brother Sam's a Christian and I'm leaving him down there on the clock. That is the point. To be a Christian and to work towards heaven gain. Not just your own, but other people. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I seek so often to be impacted by you. And I seek that because, because I'm almost addicted to it. Because once you impacted me all those years ago, I just wanted more and more. And Lord, you have, you have revealed to me through that that one of the best ways for me to be impacted by you is for me to work towards impacting others. Lord, I pray that you will continue to remind me of that. Lord, I pray. We've got something special here at Fresh Start Fellowship. We've got something happening here that isn't happening in most churches in this community. That's not because we're more spiritual, or that's not because we're smarter, or it's not because we're better looking. I think it's, it's, it's because we've gotten serious over the last couple of years about discipleship, about scripture memorization, about pressing into your word. We've gotten serious about letting you impact us and craving an opportunity for you to allow us to impact others for you. Lord, I pray as, as, as we turn yet another corner, starting something new next week, that you will be in the middle of that, giving us opportunities to deepen our impact in the lives of the believers we know and the non-believers we know. 
Lord, I pray that we will keep our hearts open to continually be impacted by you, to continually be changed. Not that one time salvation change, but all of those changes that come since because we are still on the clock. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.